All right, we're live. Um, what's up, y'all? This is ECRG here. I've got two very, very special guests. Well really, well, really, I had one. Um, um, what's up, y'all? Oh, this you got, you got a YouTube in the back. Yeah. So my special guest, um, they must have YouTube going on in the background. So you got to delete that. Um, only this stream. So, yeah. So basically, um, what we're going to be talking about today is really a slew of questions. You guys know how we do the lives here by now. Um, but we're really going to be talking about our CROs, the best place to work. So all of my guests here have worked at CROs in some form or capacity or are currently working for uh, CROs right now. So we are going to be talking about the CRO, kind of the pace, the lifestyle, what it's like working for them. So we all got a lot of experience between the three of us here. But before we get into that, just want to let you guys know, um, we have five people in the chat here. So go ahead and put your questions down below if you have any questions. So drop them down below. We've got six people in the chat now, so we really cooking already. So go ahead and drop your questions down below if you've got them. I'm going to do introductions here in a minute. Before we do that, if you guys need help with your resume, interview prep, career consultation, email me eliteclinicalgroup at gmail.com for any help with that. And we're going to go ahead and get into it. So I've got two very, very special guests. Uh, the first one is Panda, as you can see. Uh, been a friend of mine for a long time, but also a, a colleague in the industry. So Panda, if you wouldn't mind just giving a little uh, background on your clinical research experience. And for those that don't know, you might notice that she has actually been on the channel before. So uh, we'll uh, refer to that interview in the description after this. Um, so Panda, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit about kind of how you started in the industry and kind of go up to your career now. Okay. Um, well, I started off as a clinical monitoring associate um, at Parkcell, and that was basically kind of like an in-house CRA. Um, I did that for a little over a year, and then I moved into the CRA role, um, and I've been doing that for six years now. So I started in 2015 as a CMA, and now I'm a senior CRA. Wow. So you done come up a long way. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Uh, okay. So I don't know if they even have that in-house CRA role anymore at, at where you first started. Um, um, no, I don't think they do. No. Yeah. But I think in-house CRAs are starting to make a little comeback here. Yes, uh, with, they are. With the transition to uh, remote monitoring and stuff like that. Uh -huh. Okay. So I have another special guest who's actually with Panda, who goes by the name of TD. And... TD, if you wouldn't mind giving a little detail of your career, she also did an interview with us too a few years ago, and that's actually one of the top rated, uh, top rated interviews on the channel, top rated videos period on the channel actually. So TD, if you wouldn't mind giving a little overview of your career. Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm TD. Um, I started out in clinical research back in 2014 uh, through Quintiles, what what is now IQVIA. Uh, started out as a CTA. Um, worked as a CTA for a little bit of period and then um, went into the Quintiles CRA um, training program that they were getting up and started. Um, and then after that, um, had several years as a CRA um, and went up to senior level CRA. Um, and then now recently I crossed over into the uh, clinical uh, trial manager position. And um, just throughout the years, I've worked at CROs and I've ventured into uh, the pharma side as well. Okay, great. I think someone's getting some um, messages or something. Can we silence that if we don't mind? Yes, we can. Um, all right. So we've got some introductions going here. And then if you wouldn't mind, how long have you been in the industry, TD? Uh, since 2014. 2014. All right. So that's eight years of experience right there. And Panda, how long have you been in the industry again? Uh, seven years. Seven years. Wow. Wow. All right. So we over 20 years between the three of us here. Easy. All right. So as uh, a lot of people here, we have, well, we now have two. I guess we've gone down. But um, so the title of this episode is, Are CROs Really the Best Place to Work? 
So let's go ahead and delve into that. So um, if you guys wouldn't mind talking about your experience working for a CRO, what kind of makes a CRO a good place to work in your opinion? Um, all right. Well, this is TD, so I guess I'll start um, ECRG. In my opinion, CROs, they have a lot of different areas that you can get exposed to. Um, so that's a plus about it. Um, however, it can be very hard to get exposed to those areas. But if you're persistent and if you have a good relationship with your manager and if you have a good manager, um, they will try to get you into um, mentoring um, with someone that may be in the position that you want, whether that be in a CRA position or a completely different role like data management. Um, you know, I, I have a few friends who decided they didn't want to do CRA anymore and they wanted to get into the data management side. So um, I have a few friends whose managers were very instrumental in just hooking them up with the right people at the company so that they could transfer over. So I would say that that is probably um, the best thing about just CROs. If you have those pieces, you can, um, you know, experience other roles. Um, it is a big company. So oftentimes they have a lot of work. So job security. <laughs> um, right, right. But uh, yes, yeah, so I, I would probably say that that's probably one of the best things that I've found. Um, working at a CRO. Okay. Uh, Panda, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yes, sorry. <laughs> My phone is on silent, but some people just keep calling. That trap phone uh, jumping. <laughs> yeah, so um, just to piggyback off of what PD was saying, um, I do think that, well, I've only worked at CRO, so I can't speak to the farmer side, um, but I think that um, CROs do allow for networking. I think that's a, a huge plus for that. Um, again, job security is also a good thing. I think, um, I think, <laughs> sorry, um, people just keep messaging. Can you message her, please? Um, I think that on the, the negative side of that um, is that it, it's easy to kind of, uh, to not be seen when the company is a little larger. Um, I will say that. So sometimes if you don't have um, such a great manager, it's easy to kind of just, you know, be in the background and you may not um, be able to excel in your role as much as you should if you don't have that support. So as it, it all just depends on, you know, the company that you're at and who your managers are and um, who your connections are within that company. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So we talked about some of the pros of working at CROs, um, you know, opportunity, networking, things okay. like that. What would what would you say are some of the cons? Like, what are some of the negatives of working at a CRO? And this might be more of a question for TD, uh, just because you you have seen both kind of both sides of it. The negatives. Hmm. Well, so this is TD speaking. <laughs> Negatives of CROs. I think most of us will agree just being overworked. Um, they have their ups and downs, but a lot of the times I think CROs are consistent with at least the bigger CROs. Um, let me just put this out here that I have not worked at a small CRO. So I've only worked at the bigger ones. So I'm speaking from that experience. So it could be completely different. Although I don't think it is that big of a difference. It's just a difference in the, uh, you know, how many projects you may have, but you can still be overworked at a small CRO. Um, but I do think that that's a big problem. Uh, and also a lot of the times um, them just always wanting to please the sponsor is an issue because um, a lot of the times they will agree to demands that are just can't be met or are just going to, you know, put you on the road for extra hours or extra days when you already are out, you know, eight days, 10 days in the month. So um, I would say probably those two would be the, be at the top. Okay. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I would say also 
um, one of the pros too with CROs is some of the sometimes the pay can be really good because of the the competition between so many different CROs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've also heard like you mentioned, uh, I guess the workload, and you kind of feel like you're being overworked. Um, have you guys had personal experience with that working with CROs, feeling like you've been overworked? Yes, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think sometimes depends on the company. Um, a lot of the times they'll say like, you know, when they're trying to hire you, they'll say, um, you know, they put emphasis on work life balance, of course. Um, but sometimes you may be assigned to multiple projects at a time. Um, and that's, you know, not such a big deal. But when those projects all have like a database lock or a primary analysis, when those things overlap between the projects, it can cause you to be overworked. And I have been experiencing that as of late <laughs> for the month of February. Um, I'm on a sign of three projects currently, and all of them were had a interim or primary analysis all at the same time. Um, luckily, the deadlines were different dates, but it was just a lot of overlap. So it did cause a lot of workload for me. Mm -hmm. um, okay. so. If they are, I mean, okay, so would you say this is the first time in your career where you felt like this or no? Oh, no, no. Because okay. it's, I mean, and not just when they're, you know, when we have database lock or primary analysis or interim analysis. Um, I think sometimes with the monitoring visit frequencies, if you're assigned to multiple projects, um, you know, sometimes uh, they can overlap as well. So say for one project, I may have, uh, my monitoring visit frequency is every 12 weeks and another project is every six weeks. There's going to be some overlap. So if I'm assigned to eight sites in one project and eight sites in the other, like it may be fine for a few months, but there's always going to be that time period where it comes up where I have a million visits in a month because of the overlap with the frequencies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, TD, did you have anything to add to the idea of feeling overworked working for a CRO? Um, I would just say pretty much everything that Panda said was the same for me. And just seeing that um, a lot of the times when you do um, like those swap visits, um, oftentimes for selection visits or, um, you know, they want you to be on a study to help initiate something. I would say that that's also a time period where it feels like, you know, you're just being pulled in so many different directions because they want you to help out and they want you to, they say, oh, you well, you're under your visits for the month. So can you do a SWAT or something like that? But, um, you know, you, they may not be taking into account the, um, the complexity of your your studies that you're working on and then on top of that these SWAT studies that you're doing or or whatever they might be called at your organization um to do the selection visits or to help out with initiation visits they take a lot of time and those um studies want you to get those um, visits completed you know as soon as possible because they're trying to meet the study startup timelines or meet the selection visit timelines so um it could be a lot during that period as well right, right. um i also want to add when it comes to the swats um i don't think they take into account the follow-up that comes with that so mm -hmm. you know a lot of times when we have you know qualification or initiation visits we don't get everything that we need from the site during those visits so there is a lot of follow-up and if we're not um primarily assigned to that study, you know, it, it kind of just goes into the background. So it ends up being, you know, an additional study for a short period of time because of the follow-up work after those visits as well. Okay. All right. So we got five people in the chat right now, guys, go ahead and drop your questions in the chat so we can answer them. I've got very two esteemed colleagues of mine who've got plenty of knowledge. We've got over 20 years of experience between the three of us. So now is the best time, probably the best time ever on this channel. You've able to get your questions answered live. Um, all right. So since we have all that experience between us three, can you guys say either maybe you have worked at these companies or you know people that have worked at these companies and you don't have to say which of the two it is. Mm -hmm. um, which CROs have you guys heard are the best to work for? Mm. If there's any, if there's even an answer to that. 
I used to hear that Spinios was really good. And I used to hear that PRA paid the highest. So that- therefore, if a lot of the times people just said it was, you know, they had good things to say about it. When you, you know, when you increase the pay, of course, people have good things to say about it. Right, right. Uh, okay. What about you, Panda? Have you been, have you, did you hear the same type of things? Um, yeah, I've heard the same type of things. Um, I, I did used to hear that Cindy else was the best. Um, I would say I, I liked Parkzell when I was there. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've heard they, they've made some changes, um, since I've left, um, which I think were very good changes. Um, but, um, I think they're, you know, moving in the right direction, but they were pretty good when I was there. Okay. All right. So no one, no one wants to, uh, say IQV is the best, even though they're the biggest. <laughs> no. You've never heard that. No, I always hear no. IQV is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! How about MedPace? I can't stand them. I've heard. Uh, I only kn- knew one person that worked at MedPace, and they said it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. You guys can look at my videos on MedPace. I'm not the biggest fan of them, um, <laughs> but shout out to you guys that work for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've heard the same things. I mean, Cineos uh, has been good, and, and I always heard Parkcell had the best management. I've heard that from multiple people. Um, so take that for what it's worth. But, uh, typically I guess when you're trying to get in this industry, uh, whoever allows you to work there is where you're going to go, especially when you're trying to get in. But when you get more experience, then you can be a little bit more picky about where you want to work. Okay. So can you guys talk a little bit about your current roles? Um, what what are you doing now and do you like it um this is panda i'll start i am currently a senior cra um and i love the role what i don't like about the role currently is that everything for me um is remote right now um Mm -hmm. so it's a little difficult in my opinion to um to effectively monitor remotely um but it's, it's that way right now, of course, because of COVID and because of the pandemic and uh, the COVID-19 restrictions at the the sites that I'm assigned to. Um, almost all of my sites uh, are closed. Well, yeah, all of them actually are closed for monitoring unless it's, you know, unless they have like an audit or something like that and we need to straighten things out. But other than that, they do not want us to come. So yeah, it's a little difficult to monitor remotely for me. Okay, we're going to dive in a little bit into that in a second. Um, All right, TD, your turn. Um, All right. So I am currently a clinical trial manager for a small pharmaceutical company. And um, yeah, currently I am enjoying it. Um, This is a relatively new position. I um, started um, in the fall of last year. So it's still relatively new. I'm still, you know, getting situated with everything and figuring out how things work um, because I did transition from a CRA to um, to this role as the CTM. Um, but it is a smaller company. Um, this is the small one of the smallest companies I've ever worked for. So I will say that I'm learning a lot more than I would think that I would be learning if I were at a bigger company just because I think they have um, more roles set up and more people. So they have, you do a certain role and you don't really get to pivot into other areas a lot. So, um, so far I'm enjoying it. Okay. And then for those that don't know, cause honestly, I've never had a clinical trial manager on the podcast before on this, on this channel before. So mm-hmm. could you tell a little bit about what that means and what that does? Yeah. So, um, pretty much a clinical trial manager uh, manages the studies. It depends on the organization that you're working for. Um, They can have various responsibilities, but um, oftentimes if you have a study, you may have a CTM lead um, CRA meetings in which we discuss study updates. We discuss um, 
you know, things that are going right, going wrong with any of the samples that um, the lab is seeing over the study, any trends we may have in the study, um, any data management issues, just general overview, things like that with the CRAs. And then also on the other side, um, I work with just getting the study up and started from doing consents, creating consents, creating source documents, creating monitoring plans, um, creating uh, what else am I creating? Um, I'm having to do a little bit of SOPs, but that's um, typically not the norm for CTMs. Like I said, I'm with a smaller company, so they're letting me do a little bit more than what your average CTM might do at a bigger company. But um, also as a CTM, looking at just budgets and um, for the project. And um, so it's a lot. <laughs> I could go on and on, but those are a few things. Okay. So it's kind of like a project manager, essentially. Uh, essentially, yes. Um, depending on the company, um, because several companies that I've worked for, they've had a variation of a clinical trial manager and a project manager, where the project manager more so handles the financials and the clinical trial manager more so handles like the day-to-day -day study stuff and managing the study. And, um, but um, like I mentioned, I'm at a smaller company, so I kind of do a little bit of both. Okay. And your, your company you currently work for is a sponsor, right? They're a pharmaceutical company? Yes. Okay, great. Um, all right. So, I mean, so you were monitoring during the pandemic as well, because you're saying you're just, you just recently transitioned to this role. So you can speak to this uh, remote monitoring stuff and why it's not super effective remotely, especially if you're not really built for it. Uh, yes. So when I was monitoring, um, I will say that I had the joy <laughs> of being between projects. <laughs> so um, a lot of my remote visits that I had to do um, were um, like selection visits or things like that. And at the time I was um, at a pharma company as well. Um, so they had a little bit of a difference um, in how they did remote visits. So I did a few selection visits, a few initiation visits, but um, you know, it was a little different than how it would be done at a CRO because they didn't have a problem with remote initiations even before the pandemic. So, you know, if you met a certain criteria, you can have a remote initiation visit. So it was a little bit of a different setup. Um, so I didn't really have to have like any maintenance visits or anything like that, um, monitoring visits throughout the study. Um, so I wasn't doing like your normal remote visits. I did have a couple and it wasn't that big of an issue for me just because my um, site, they would use... Um, Viva has a platform for sites to use and you can upload. It's supposed to be like protected and everything. So they could upload their source documents without redacting it. And, oh. um, and I can use that to verify all of my, um, everything that I needed to review in EDC. So um, a lot of my sites would use that platform if they didn't already have a platform. And my other sites, um, they had a um, an electronic um, ISF also, and uh, many of them had built in um, ways to upload their source as well. So it wasn't terrible for the sites, the few sites that I did have that were active and enrolling. It wasn't terrible. Okay. Um, Panda, I'm going to get with you right in a second to get you okay. to respond to that. Uh, we have a bunch of comments. I was... I'm being dumb and looking at the wrong screen here. Um, <laughs> so I didn't see these comments come through. Um, so K Nice asks, which do you guys prefer, CROs on the East Coast or West Coast? Uh, what do you guys think? Okay, this is Panda talking. Um, I am based on the East Coast, so I'm biased. I prefer East Coast. I wouldn't be able to speak to the CROs on the West Coast because I don't live on the West Coast and have not worked for one that's based on the West Coast. And this is TV. Um, I also am East Coast based, so I don't have experience with the West Coast uh, CRO, but I do have experience traveling to the West Coast a lot um, yeah. for a CRO on a study. And 
while it's great in the beginning, <laughs> yes. and I love, I love going to visit the West Coast. I have family on the West Coast. It's great in the beginning, but it becomes taxing on your body oh um, because I remember at the beginning of my CRO career, I was always on the West Coast. I was on the West Coast more than I was on the East Coast. I practically lived on the West Coast uh, and I would like stay the weekends. The plus about it is I would get to stay the weekends and visit family. But um, yeah, it's just, so that's the only really experience that I have with like the West Coast. Um, I was just flown out there a lot. And after a while I, I was like, okay, this needs to stop because I'm I can't be on living on the West Coast more than I'm living on the East Coast. <laughs> right. You guys are hitting right on the head. When you're traveling as a CRA, uh, going to the West Coast all the time, it does put a lot of wear and tear on your body. So yes, extreme burnout. True. But some of the things I like to talk about on this channel is definitely like, you know, staying in decent shape because, you know, being in flights all the time, you definitely start noticing it when you're in flights all the time oh. and just moving and grooving. So um but to, i guess to answer your question on a different level i mean you know when they say do you prefer the CRO on the east coast and west coast well with all this remote stuff and you know CRAs have been remote for a long time it doesn't really matter where the CRO is based um you can still work for them uh no matter where they're based um okay next question they ask k nice asks again when you say overworked do you mean detailed reports or traveling could you elaborate I think you guys did elaborate on that a little bit. Um, yeah, I can elaborate a little bit more. This is TD. Um, okay. When I say overworked, I mean, at one point in time, I had 18 sites and I was the only CRA on the study. Granted, it was a little bit more in um, the visits. Uh, it became it was we were at a point in the study where the the subject visits weren't as frequent but to be the only cra on this on the study with 18 sites is still a little ridiculous in my opinion um and not only were that was it 18 sites it was 18 sites across the united states so uh you know and i still had to complete the visits along with my other studies um that I had sites on. So um, that's when I say being overworked, just having to travel the US in that capacity to make sure that I do the visits for that study, but also get in my other study um, visits. And then um, just like I, like I mentioned earlier, some of the demands that I think um, study teams agree to when they're on the CRO side because they want to make the sponsor happy um, can also overwork the CRAs to a point where it's like, okay, you want me to do this, but you're giving me very little turnaround time. I think that can lead to CRAs being overworked and just feeling just like not heard um, because I've been on many teams where we would say like, no, we can't do this or we don't have the time to do this or you guys, you know, it was inevitably the sponsor's mistake, but we have to turn around and rush and clean it up because of their mistake. So that's a little bit what I, when I mean overworked. Okay. Um, kind of in that same vein, um, how many time, like how many, let's say visits were you guys doing a week or a month, uh, kind of, at, kind of at a normal rate. And then kind of when you were being overworked, like just so people can know the difference. Mm. Uh, this is Panda. Um, so, Normally, I think it depends on the company, really. So some companies say, um, depending on how they do the model um, for the role of a CRA at their companies. Um, I was at a company once where they said seven to eight visits a month was like the metrics for visits. Um, and then some of them say eight to 10. It just depends on um, what task the role has and um, you know what the company decides the standard should be. Um, so I would say on average, when I was traveling, um, it was definitely eight to 10 days on site a month, um, sometimes more. Um, and more than eight to 10 would be like the overworks. It would be like 12 to 14 days on site a month. And you're doing you're doing uh, one day visits or two day visits? Um, it was both. Okay, so a mix. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it just depends on the workload at the site, really. Okay. Yeah. And TD, what about you? Um, I would say mine is pretty much the same. Um, I've worked at a company where it's been five days. I've worked where it's been um, eight days, 10 days. Um, overworked would definitely be more so up there, like your 12 to 15 days on site. Because if you think about it, when you're doing 12 or 15 days on site, that doesn't include like the day before if you travel or, um, you know, then if you have a visit set up the next night, because sometimes I would do a visit in Florida and then I'll need to go to Tennessee. So after I'm leaving Florida, I'm on a flight to Tennessee, connecting somewhere maybe. So, you know, that doesn't include the, the day before. So if you're doing 12 to 15 days on site, that's kind of crazy because you have to, if you add another day for travel, pretty much gone almost the whole month, pretty much the whole month. Especially if you have sites on the West Coast and you live on the East Coast. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, so it depends on the study, really, and the company. Okay. Yeah, and also, sorry, um, also to put a point in there, earlier when we started, because we started not too far apart from each other, but um, remote visits weren't considered like whole days on site. Right. So if you did a remote visit, like that really didn't count towards your metrics. Right. Um, so now it's a lot better. Obviously, I mean, the pandemic helped with that. But <laughs> um, but yeah, remote visits weren't really a thing either. True. Um, okay. And so why why do you guys think that CROs will work you like this in particular? I mean, you know, they made a promise to the sponsor, so <laughs> I feel like that's what it all boils down to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think it just boils down to they made a promise. They they want the money. They said that they could do something for whatever they said they could do it for. So that's how they're going to try to do it. And, you know, most of the time sponsors want to spend as little money as possible. So if they could say, no, we only need, you know, five CRAs instead of eight, like they're going to just assign you more sites. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for uh, providing that clarity. Um, K nice also asked, is icon on that list? I think we're talking about good CROs or bad CROs. Uh, any comments on that? Now that they have bought PRA, I didn't know. Did Icon buy PRA? Do you guys know? Yeah, um, I believe it was PRA. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Um. Okay. I think any Icon is okay. Okay. Yeah. Just okay. Um, <laughs> I've heard. Good things about Icon prior to the purchase. Um, I don't really know too much about like after the purchase, but I've heard good and bad things about Icon. So yeah, I can't say I've heard uh, more bad than good or more good than bad, but I've heard a, a good amount of both. Okay. Guys, we're cooking now. Go ahead and drop your questions or comments in the chat if you have anything to add. Um, K nice is getting all the glory here because they asked all the questions. Shout out to you, K nice. Um, so moving on down here, we've got Nisha KGS. Hi, I'm on the East Coast, currently doing an internship in CTMS and hold a master's in biopharma. I'm looking for opportunities at entry level, but no luck yet without prior experience. Any suggestions? So do you guys have any suggestions for Nisha? Um, I would suggest um looking at companies that have well hold on it i guess it depends on the role you're looking for so if you're looking to go into like the cra role i would suggest looking at companies that have um like a cra training program or something like that i think they're um more prone to hire people that don't have a cra experience because a lot of times you know for cra they want you to have the experience unless they have like that entry-level training program um, but if you aren't able to find companies that have programs like that, um, I would suggest networking really, um, just, you know, go on LinkedIn or there are some Facebook groups that, um, 
that focus on uh, roles in clinical research, and um, they do a lot with networking. Um, one group that I follow on Facebook is uh, Black Girls in Clinical Research. Um, I think they have a LinkedIn page as well. Um, but that's a huge, um, a huge way to network. If you, you know, join different groups and let people know, you know, what you're looking for, and just network really. TD, I think I think you might have something interesting to say here because you got your start in an internship as well back in the day. Yeah, I did. Um, so I started back with uh, Quintiles and I got my start in an internship, which turned into a full time position. Um, so I would definitely say look into seeing what possibilities may be open um, after the internship. I also think that it may be good to um like Panda mentioned, um, look for any CRA training um, courses or anything like that, or um, training classes that the CROs might be um, looking to hire new people for. I also think that looking at um, smaller companies may help. It may not be the most appealing, but um, like I mentioned earlier, you do get a lot of experience at smaller companies. It could be good or bad depending on your management, but it could be good or bad, good or bad at a larger organization as well. But you know, smaller companies that it might be a little bit easier to get your foot in the door, and you can get the experience that you want, and then after a year, just leave. Um, because I always say you want at least a year if you can try to get at least a year on the resume, and then you can just say, you know, it just wasn't you know, exactly what they told me it was going to be and then try it for that larger CRO or wherever you may want to go. Um, so I think that those would help. Um, but yeah, I'd say definitely look into just any opportunities that your manager may know about um, after your internship is over, because that's how I got converted into a full-time employee. Okay. Yeah, I got my start as well, not in an internship, but it was a contract position. I was making like $12 an hour. Um, it was a three month contract. So there was, you know, there's a possibility it could be extended for an extra three months, but it wasn't guaranteed. And I could tell you for certain, just having one month on my resume made a big difference in the amount of callbacks I got. Um, yeah, big difference. And eventually I got on full time working at that company. That was a large CRO. And then I just worked my way up from there. So don't be afraid to take contracts or internship just to get some experience, guys. It really can go a long way. And um, Nisha, if you wouldn't mind putting in the chat uh, what positions you're looking at to get in the industry, and maybe we can offer a little bit more uh, advice there. Um, so K Nice says 18. Oh, wow. Was, oh, wow. He's talking about your the number of sites you had at one time, TD. <laughs> Um, it also says that makes sense for sure. So Alimi Sinclair asks, what's the minimum number of site CROs assigned to CRAs? Um, this is Panda talking. Um, again, it really just depends on um, the projects that you're assigned to. Um, some projects may only need a CRA to cover two sites um, or, you know, depending on the workload that the project has. Um, so if it's a larger project, of course, you may be assigned more sites, but, um, typically CRAs are assigned to multiple projects at once. Um, two, I think is the minimum. Sometimes you may have three or four. Um, so it really just depends on your projects and your, um, allocation to those projects. Yep. And I would agree. I would just say that maybe also depends on, um, how large of a study it is and exactly how the CRO determines their regions because you know oftentimes they'll say we're regional but you'll be going all over the place right. so um I've had friends on studies that you know they might have like one or two sites on the study but they they're on more protocols so I think it also depends on if your CRO is one that puts you on more protocols with fewer sites, or if it puts you on fewer protocols with more sites. Which, which do you guys prefer more sites on one study or more protocols with less sites on each protocol? I prefer more sites. 
Yeah, I I, I prefer <laughs> fewer protocols and more more sites. Yeah, some it's easy, especially if the protocols are similar. Like if it's a um, similar indication, or if it's like the same drug but you know different protocols, it's easy to mix up um, the procedures and you know what the what the sites are supposed to be doing. So I would say for me, it's easier to have just you know minimal protocols, more sites. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Um, okay. And so did you guys, I, I heard you guys mention three or four protocols you could be on at a CRO. Did you guys say the number of sites you guys would typically be assigned? Um, I, know you, I know you said it can depend, but what's yeah. like the average, I would say. The average. So currently I have, I'm on three protocols. Um, for one, I have like five sites, another, I have like seven, and then the last one, I have two. So, and for me, um, I think it, you take into account what type of study you're on. Mm -hmm. If you're on something like oncology, it's going to be uh, fewer um, sites, but if you're on you know, something that's more gen med, then you'll probably have a, a few more sites, especially if it's a bigger study. So for me, um, I had about three protocols and I would say probably about 10 sites, at least 10 sites each protocol. And some sites, some sites would, um, some sites would, so two of my studies, when I when I had three, actually I had four protocols at once. That was my highest number. But two of the studies were sister studies. So my sites that were on that study, I had the same sites for both studies. I mean, it was still two studies. I still had to write two reports. Um, but um, then I closed one study, and so it went down to three. But yeah, it was uh, about yeah about 10 sites but like i said they were the same site so i guess that was the justification for giving me the same sites on those two sister studies mm. so you're telling me you were on 30 uh sites at one time technically yes it was 30 sites but when you look at it i will always set up my visits the same week so i would go to florida and stay for the whole week and do two two studies i got you and then the next week would be for the other study or for another site. But they the the way that the monitoring visit frequency worked out, my other study that I was on, it had way less of a of a visit frequency. So I was able to concentrate more on those two sister studies. Okay. Okay. Um so what are your favorite indications to monitor or that you guys have monitored? Dang, it doesn't sound like y'all have any favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I primarily monitor oncology studies. Um, I've also done rheumatology and COPD. Um, I guess rheumatology is probably my favorite. It was a lot easier than oncology. <laughs> Okay, now I got to ask a follow-up question to that before we get to UTD. Oncology versus non-oncology, is the extra money worth it? Um, if you like money, yes. <laughs> but usually usually it's not like a whole lot more. Um, I think it did. I mean, I think some people can, you know, if you know how to negotiate your salary, you probably can get a lot more. But um, yeah. oncology protocols tend to be uh, a little more complex. Um, and, you know, the patients tend to have like a lot of AEs and take a lot of commas and it's just, it's very tedious monitoring. Um, so if you're into that, then oncology would be great for you. So you're, so you're saying that the extra money is worth the hassle and extra stress. Yes. For me, I like money. Okay. Oh. Okay. Dang. She got that big. She got the big bag. All right. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
All right. What about you, uh, TD? What are your favorite indications to uh, monitor or work with? Um, I can tell you, well, I like to switch around a lot. I like to, um, yeah, I just like to switch around a lot because I feel like I get a little bored mm. with some stuff. <laughs> um, so um, I would say my favorite have been like just different kind of rare disease studies that I've been on. Um, but my least favorite, I know you didn't ask this, but least favorite would be vaccines. <laughs> vaccines, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Why? Because while vaccine studies are super, they tend to be super easy depending on, well, the majority of vaccine studies are super easy. I've been on vaccine studies that have been really complicated. Um, if you deal with, uh, a um, sponsor that does a lot of vaccines, you will find yourself on some complicated vaccine studies. But vaccine studies, the more complicated vaccine studies uh, normally enroll fewer patients, but the the general va vaccine studies, they enroll a high number of patients. So like I've been on vaccine studies where it, they've screened 200, 250 people for the study and they have 100, 150 people enrolled. And you have to review all of that. So you and your co-monitors go out there and as many days as you guys need. And we weren't doing any, uh, what is it called? Uh, RBM, risk-based monitoring. We were monitoring everything. 100%, right. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I would say, you know, vaccines. Uh, okay. That's interesting. I haven't heard that one before. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's super... They're super quick and it doesn't, it's not, generally it's not very complicated, but when you have that amount of patience and the same deadlines, you know, it could be a lot. Um, right. But like I said, there are some other vaccine studies that are a little bit more complicated and you have less subjects. Um, Cause I've been on vaccine studies also where they only had, you know, 20 subjects enrolled, um, which is, I say only cause some, for, va for a vaccine study, that's small, but compared to like an oncology study, that's a lot of subjects. A lot. <laughs> okay. Clinical clinical research maven just tapped in. Uh, they said the second vaccine study, she, uh, they second the vaccine study thing and also infectious disease studies. Pretty um, interesting. Interesting. I haven't heard that. Um, so shout out to you, clinical research maven. Always showing love in, out here. So appreciate you. Um, Alimi Sinclair says, what's the minimum number of protocols they give? I think we already answered that. Um, yeah. I said, wow. Then K Nice asks, do you guys read all your protocols or does it depend on what type of study it is? This is Panda talking. Um, I definitely read the protocols. Um, like I said, with oncology, they tend to be complex and I would hate to go on site or a site ask me a question and I'm just not informed at all. I hate that. So I definitely go through, I read the protocols, I make notes, I, you know, put little sticky tabs so I can remember where to find things. Um, so yeah, I, I do read them all. And the, um, I do read my protocols for the most part. I have skimmed a few sections. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but those tend to be the sections, you know, like some of the the sections that you can skim, like maybe the background or something like that, that you may have went over. But I generally read all of my protocols. And by the time I do a monitoring visit, like I, I have, I normally we'll either ask for like a mini protocol or I'll print out like a schedule of events table so that I make sure that I'm, you know, capturing everything. Cause you know, we all know that the EDC doesn't have everything that's supposed to be done for the visit. So, you know, I make sure I do like little things like that beforehand. Um, but yes, definitely read the protocols. <laughs> yeah. Now, not hey. oh, Go ahead, right. Brenda. Go ahead. Oh, if it's a SWAT visit and they need a visit like the next day, I probably won't read the whole protocol because that's not something that I'm like assigned to. You know, with the SWATs, with QVs, you pretty much are seeing if the site is able to conduct the study at their site. So, you know, whatever questions they have, I can just direct it to the CTM or whatever. But if it's a study that I'm permanently assigned to, yes, I will definitely go through the whole protocol. Okay. 
Um, yeah, I guess I don't know if I read it front to back. I typically use it as like a reference manual. So if they ask questions, I definitely refer to the protocol first. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone got their own ways. Um, and then they ask, does it depend on what type of study it is? So, I mean, you know, the protocol is like the Bible. So you definitely have to be very familiar with it, regardless of the study. Um, K nice says they mainly monitor oncology sheesh, uh, but they did put some money signs in there. So they must be getting to the bag. <laughs> I think they might be talking about Panda. Oh yeah. <laughs> they back that Brinks truck up for you, Panda. Well, it's not a Brinks truck. <laughs> Maybe a little Tahoe or something. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, okay. So Alimi makes a good comment. They said, seem sponsors pay less than CROs. Um, what do you guys think about that? I disagree. I disagree also. This is TD. Um, I think it, you have to look at the complete package. Sponsors tend to give you more benefits, like way better benefits <laughs> than CROs. So um, I think if you take into account the benefits you get and the salary, it uh, equals out or is a little bit more. Panda, you have anything to say on that? Um, no, I've never worked for a sponsor, so. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah I would also say, and TD, you might be able to speak on this too because you deal with CRAs um, in your current position as well. Uh, I find that the monitoring is not as intense as it is a CRO. Um, like I'm typically doing one visit a week. I'm not doing multiple visits a week. I've only done that a few times working for a sponsor, like two or three uh, max. Um, so, you know, that's also something to keep in mind too is kind of your sanity and your ability to be a CRA for a while. Cause I mean, you're going to get burnt out doing multiple visits a week, every week. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's why CRAs end up leaving. And then they go do training at a new CRO for a few months and then they, you know, do it for a year or whatever. And then they go on to the next one. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Alimi asks, and guys drop your questions. We're getting on 52 minutes right now. So I'll we'll probably, uh, wrap up here in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, so drop your last questions down here. But I am going to interrupt these questions for a minute to do uh, talk about some fun stuff because um, we got to get into that too. But we'll answer this question real quick and then we'll get to the fun stuff. So Alimi says, between being a remote CRA and office-based CRA, which is preferable for an aspiring CRA? Uh, I don't know what you mean by office-based. Most CRAs are not office-based. Um, I think he might be meaning like field CRA versus in-house CRA. Um, I mean, he could mean office based. I think, well, if he does mean like actually going into the office, I think for someone starting out, um, it would be beneficial to take an office role. Just it's easier to network that way and get to know other people within the company. Um, you know, when you're remote, it's kind of hard to connect, especially when you're starting at a new company or, you know, you don't really know anyone there. It may be a little difficult to try to connect with the people, um, the other people within the company, um, to, you know, just try to get a feel of the environment. Um, so if that's what you meant, then I think for an in, entry level CRA office based would be beneficial. But if you mean like traveling versus remote, um, Definitely travel is better, in my opinion. Um, and I would say pretty much the same what Panda just said. I think if you um, starting off, going into the office is nice um, just because you get to connect with your coworkers and um, bounce a few ideas off them in person. And then, you know, just maybe... Um, go out to lunch or something if you don't really like people then maybe you want to stay home <laughs> um, but um so yeah i would agree with what panda said um and i would also agree that if you're talking about just purely remote versus a traveling cra traveling is better because if you're going to be a cra you might as well get the perks of uh them paying for your travel and you get in all those miles and whatnot <laughs> yes airline status oh, and yeah. <laughs> see, you get to see other cities 
not on your dime on somebody else's dime so right. you know go and explore go out take yourself to dinner get a nice dinner <laughs> um stay within your per diem but <laughs> or go <All> right. <laughs> yeah Speak. or go over and pay the extra yourself i did that a few times <laughs> speaking of speaking of traveling mm -hmm. now we're gonna get to the fun stuff all right okay what are y'all's favorite cities that you have been to uh as a cra so many um favorite city new york of course um salt lake city oh yeah love salt lake city um I used to have to go to, I cannot think of the name, but I used to fly into San Francisco and then drive like an hour to like wine country. Um, yeah, but it was, I didn't, it wasn't Napa. It was like another city. I can't remember the name, but it was in like the, the Napa area. I really mm -hmm. like that place too. Um, yeah. Oh, and DC, of course, because I had family up there. So when I used to have visits in DC, I used to stay with my sister and my niece and hang out with them. So that was cool. Yeah, and I would say for me, um, definitely a little bit of overlap. Um, New York is always great when you can go. Um, DC is great. I also have family up there, so that's great. Um, I really like Phoenix. Um, I really like Salt Lake City. Uh, two places that I did not think that I would necessarily like as much as I did, but I really enjoyed going there um, as a CRA. Yeah, and it's great because like you said, um, you're not going to necessarily pay on your own dime to go to those places if you think you're not gonna like it. But since work, t work told you to go there, you're able to go there and realize you actually really enjoy being there. Mm -hmm. Oh, another favorite, Burlington, Vermont. Really? Yeah, it's so pretty and the people are so nice. Okay. They I didn't see up. a lot of people that looked like me, but they still were like, I don't know. They were nice, kind of like hippies a little bit. Is mm -hmm. that a bad term? I don't know. But yeah, they were That's cool. so funny because I just saw something on TV that said like um, Maine is a really nice place to visit. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Maine is on my list to visit uh, just because I, I heard that the people there are really nice and they have uh, good fresh seafood, and it's just a nice place to visit. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of outdoor activities too. If you're into that, yeah, um, and influence if you like a city too. <laughs> so, so uh, for myself, I've been to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, I was going there a lot actually because that site was not great. So I was going there like every other month for a while. I think that was like 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went there like five, six, seven times, and it was great. Um, <laughs> New Orleans was crazy. That was awesome. New Orleans was really cool. Um, then I've been to the New Yorks a lot and DC, and those are great too. Um, so do you do you guys have a? Well, I guess TD, you already said Phoenix, but do you guys have any other cities that really surprised you? Mm. Oh, San Diego. I like San Diego. I've only had to go there a couple times, but I like that one too. Yeah, but San Diego's got the beach. It's got the year-round perfect weather. I forgot that's not, that, that's that, not that surprising. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. It was another place I used to go to all the time. Oh, and I love going to Charleston. Charleston is a good one. Mm. Charleston I'm going there in two weeks. Yeah, Charleston is a good one, and they have great food. <laughs> really good food, so I would always pick a nice restaurant to go to in Charleston. <laughs> Did you ever go to 82 Queen? No, I don't think I went to that one. How about uh, Pugin's Porch? Yes, I've been there. Yeah, that one's famous. Yeah. And if you get to Savannah, Savannah's a good food spot, too. <laughs> you had business in Savannah, too? Uh-huh. All right, you you got all the cities. <laughs> yep, but sadly enough, I didn't get a lot of visits because that was towards the end, and then um, the pandemic started. So then we went home. So, right, okay, yeah, I remember Panda. You really liked Burlington, Vermont. I remember you talked about that a lot 
we yeah. know now. Um, okay. So we're getting on an hour here. I am going to ask you one last question about the remote monitoring because we didn't get back to that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll wrap up here. So the remote monitoring, basically what happened was the pandemic happened. Sites were closed. They were not letting us travel because no one knew what was going on. So then we had to do all of our work remotely. So you had mentioned earlier that you do not think that it's a very effective way to monitor. Why, why do you think that? Um, it's just, it's easier to, okay. For instance, if I'm monitoring, if I'm on site and I notice that there's a discrepancy between the source and EDC, um, the study coordinator is like there. They might not be right beside me, but I can just walk to their office really quickly. Like, hey, can you fix this really quickly? Or if I need a clarification on something, um, it's just communication um, was a lot easier when we were, you know, in person with them for one. Um, another thing is systems access to the site system remotely. Um, a lot of, I mean, it's I, since I'm in oncology, I work with a lot of like hospitals. Um, and they have a lot of firewalls and everything. So even though I did have access to their EMRs while I was on site, it was using their devices. So since we're remotely, um, since we're monitoring remotely, sorry, um, it's it's a it's been more of a hassle trying to get access. We have to go through legal. It takes a long time. And then some days, um, you know, they forget to load the patients in the EMR. Then I have to, you know, call or send an email and. You know, they don't get to my email until <laughs> 12 or one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm like starting to visit late. Um, a lot of the study coordinators are working remotely as well, unless they have a patient coming in. So that's another thing. Um, if I have a remote visit and they're working remotely as well on the same day that we have a visit, if I have a question about anything or if I need them to upload a document that they forgot to upload into the system, um, they aren't able to do it because they're at home, so they don't have access to the documents. So it's just, you know, a lot of little things um, that make it a little harder to monitor remotely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we weren't really built. This, I mean, the studies weren't designed to be monitored remotely. Right. So, I mean, maybe if they were designed like that from the beginning, it probably would have went a lot better and a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's hard to make make a study into it. It's hard to change it when it's you know already going. Right. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I don't. I don't really like the remote monitoring uh, nearly as much as the on-site monitoring, um, just because I think it's it's a lot faster, more streamlined. Um, you can get stuff handled way quicker. And I notice a lot of times when we had remote monitoring visits, like the study coordinators wouldn't be like kind of all in on the visit. They would be dealing with patients and stuff on the side, or maybe have mm-hmm. another remote monitoring visit too. So they didn't really take it as seriously. I felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it looks like we don't have any more questions from everybody. Um, we've been rocking here for an hour. So it's been great. Thank you both for coming on. This has been awesome. Um, so this is going to post here pretty much after we go live. Um, yeah. So do you guys have any last tips for anybody looking to get into the industry? Um, I mean, I feel like the best way to do it, to get your foot in the door is, you know, for someone else to help you. So network as much as you can. Um, employee referrals are always great. So if you know someone that works at a company or know someone that knows someone <laughs> that works at a company and they have a position open, you know, just ask them, can, you know, they do an employee referral. Um, and I feel like that's an easier way to get in than just, you know, trying to do it yourself. Yeah, and I would say, I would say the same. And um, like I mentioned earlier in the answer to, um, I forget who it was, but earlier they asked, um, what advice would you give uh, for the internship um, that she has trying to get a full-time position? So I would say the same things that we pretty much said for that. But I will say one tip that I want to give you guys do not do what I did. Don't let them give you all them sites. <laughs> when I had all those sites, I was a young, eager CRA. You know, a lot of times you want to try to prove yourself. That's dead. Don't do that. Yes. <laughs> Boundaries. Do 
know your boundaries because you get burnt out really quick. I got burnt out really quick with that. And it was hard to get off those studies because they were used to me saying yes. So Mm -hmm. learn your boundaries early and yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Definitely know your boundaries. Don't be afraid to say no. Yes. And be honest. Like if you are, if it takes you three hours to do a report, make sure you put three hours on your timesheet. Make sure you're honest with your manager about how things are going. If a study is difficult or challenging, or if, you know, the clinical trial managers are asking you to do something and it's just, you know, outrageous and, you know, just make sure, you know, you're vocal about things and honest and set your boundaries. There it is. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. Kay Nice, Clinical Research Maven, Alimi. Thank you, everyone who asked questions. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you.